You're listening to the Auctioneer Tech Auction Podcast. AuctioneerTech.com, technology, auctions, and auctioneers, auction tech for the auction industry. You're listening to the Auctioneer Tech Auction Podcast. Today is Wednesday, 5 August 2009. My name is Aaron Trappis, and joining me today for the third in the vendor interview series is Jeff Johnstonbaugh. Jeff is Chief Operations Officer for BidSpotter Incorporated. Good evening, Jeff, and thank you for joining me. Hello, Aaron. It's a pleasure. Jeff, how did you get started in the in the auction industry? Well, uh, trading and buying and selling going to auctions has always been in my family. Um, I started working, I was about 13 in the restaurant business. By the time I was 21, I was fairly burned out on that career. And so I was buying and selling a lot of equipment at auctions for restaurants and building restaurants. And the auctioneer whose sales I attended most asked me to come to work for him. That was about 1982, and it's uh, been 27 years ever since. So it's worked out okay. And you were working uh, in, in what capacity for that auctioneer? Oh, I started out as setup and ended up as an auctioneer and ended up as a sales manager and uh, actually ended up buying his business uh, when he passed away after I'd worked for him for about 15 years. Just your ordinary local, regional, you know, neighborhood business auction company. And uh, and maybe we should maybe we should preface that a little bit. Where are you? Where are you from? Where was this? And and where are you out of now? I'm I'm still up in the Seattle area where I was then. And so uh, I actually uh, purchased Jesse Jones Auctioneers and ran Jesse's company for several years until I got distracted by this whole internet thing. And 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 tell us a little bit about this this distraction, as you as you call it, uh, and and what drove you to what drove you to Bidspotter. Well, uh, like a lot of people, I uh, saw the allure of the internet and decided to pursue that dream. And um, I was actually working at Nordstrom.com at the time. I was interviewing for a position internally, and the president of the company stepped out of our meeting for a while, which obviously made me nervous. <laughs> he stepped back in and said something which made me even more nervous. He said, Jeff, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I checked with the Nordstroms, and we're going to refer you out of the company, which obviously uh, panicked me. Mm -hmm. He uh, actually was an angel investor sitting on the board of a little company called LiveBid, which was one block down the street, and uh, he referred me uh, down to them. So I, I took a walk down the street and uh, – it turned out that that was just about 90 days before they were purchased by Amazon.com. And uh, the fellow who was the sales manager there was well known to me because I had taught him bid calling a few years before. And so uh, I hired on with LiveBid, and uh, the online adventure continued. When was that that you, that you hired on with LiveBid? I want to say it was 1998. Okay. Uh, it's, it's interesting. We're going, we've got enough experience in the Internet now that it's, it's starting to get lost in the fog of time. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we were, we were bought by Amazon, and, and Amazon had an interesting strategy. Amazon saw that eBay was coming after retail, so they took a shot. I'm sorry, Amazon saw eBay was coming after retail, so they took a shot at auctions for a while to force eBay to refocus on their core business, and it was very effective. And uh, one of the things they wanted to do was make sure that eBay didn't get to buy live bid company, uh, nor Yahoo Auctions. And we were at Amazon for about 18 months. I had the opportunity to work with uh, Sotheby's, and I had the opportunity to help develop the 
the first uh, beginnings of the different platforms and sort out how industrial auctions are different from consumer auctions and all that sort of stuff. So it was very formative years and very exciting times. Sure. How then did that did that job description segue into into BidSpotter? Well, Amazon uh, decided that its strategic move had run its course, and after about oh, 15 months or 18 months, they let us all go. Uh, some friends of mine, Bill Foote and Jeff Harris, went off to form LiveBid or uh, BidSpotter.com. Rather, um, I took uh, a year off and then uh, later joined them. And uh, BidSpotter has grown uh, very steadily from a very small company to uh, what we have today, which is working quite well for us. One of the unique circumstances that sets BidSpotter apart from all the competition is that uh, there's never been any outside investment. We've been uh, cash flow positive and worked from within our own means since uh, they started out with their own two uh, severance checks. And uh, it's built slowly, but it's built very uh, solid. So we're very proud of that. That's that, that's that's very uh, or somewhat unique in the in in these days of tech startups and internet companies. And it seems like everybody's taking taking venture capital from from various places and and having something that is a completely organic and as you put it, cash flow positive entity from the get-go is, is is something to certainly be proud of. You say that uh, Bill and Jeff started BidSpotter, and then you, you joined them uh, shortly thereafter. How did you know them? They were in LiveBid, is that right? Correct. Every, all of us uh, that founded uh, and originated BidSpotter were uh, from within the Amazon group. Uh, we joined with uh, some fellows from Canada. Uh, iNet SoftGlobe was the name of their company, and... Um, they provided the bidding engine around which all of the BidSpotter uh, website is wrapped. And so it's, it's grown on that basis. And uh, now the fellows from iNet and the original founders of BidSpotter are all partners in the deal. But again, there's never been any outside investment and there's never been any debt taken on. And so it's, uh, it's worked out pretty well. So, so how long would you say that you were – you were a, a, a bid calling auctioneer. Is that something you still do on the side? Is that is that uh, locked away as, as, as a part of your past? How long did you do that? And I probably did that very actively with one or two sales a week for a dozen years, and uh, it's something I still can do and I'm happy to do. But for me, primarily now, it's it's pitching in to help somebody else or for a good charitable cause. Um, I don't actively pursue auctions, although I do still uh, cooperate and consult with friends on big projects and so forth occasionally. Sure. Well, Jeff, tell us tell us about BidSpotter. How would you describe BidSpotter to somebody in an elevator? What, is, what does BidSpotter do, and, uh, and what kinds of Internet bidding does BidSpotter support? Okay. Um, BidSpotter is a website where folks primarily go to buy industrial machinery, plant machinery, um, I like to say things that make you money. <laughs> the uh, the ways that uh, BidSpotter works with the traditional auctioneers is to provide technology for a, a, a web simulcast where you can bid against the live crowd in the room at the traditional auction. Um, a strong area of, uh, of growth and future trend is the timed auctions, the online auctions that are more of an eBay-style auction, but we still present them as an event as opposed to random items in this gigantic mishmash of, uh, of offerings. Uh, each of our auctions, whether it's a timed online auction or a webcast auction, 
appears in a calendar fashion. Um, it, it gets its own standalone credibility. The buyers tend to migrate amongst the items there and consolidate their shipping and figure out how to work with one rigger or machine remover to get the stuff home. Uh, they develop a relationship with one auctioneer to buy the multiple items at that event. And then they uh, package up their goodies, pay their bill, and go home. Um, the timed auctions are far more popular with our uh, European clients, and we do have a very strong European representation. Uh, we also have are, are active in uh, South Africa, and uh, the live webcast auctions are really the bread and butter of the American auction industry, although it is a growing uh, segment. I would say that uh, the main reason that BidSpotter trended toward the industrial machinery sales um, away from its generalist origins has to do with the, the demands of the industrial auctioneers, the ways they like to do aggregates and groups and with a privilege and frequently change their mind about how stuff's going to be offered depending on how the crowd uh, receives their you know proposals of how to give you choice on the next hundred or you got to take the next five or put them all together or what have you. And uh, the BitSpotter platform has always been very facile and very, very quick to present with clarity those different means of grouping and choicing items. And those seem to be a requirement uh, primarily of the industrial auction culture. You mentioned You mentioned something in that description that kind of kind of focused my attention and, and you mentioned how you list the auctions as events as you know for your especially for your internet only your timed auctions you list them all you know as an event um, and, and it is essentially a group of items in an event as opposed to as you put it individual items in a in a sea of, of staggered ending items why do you why do you feel that that is important? And I've I've noticed that that's the the primary difference between the way that we as auctioneers market items, as opposed to your traditional eBay sellers or eBay style sellers who will uh, list individual items with varying, you know, seemingly random closing times. Why do you feel it's important to list items, uh, internet only items, in events as opposed to on 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 their own? Well, I guess for me it goes back to the way Jesse uh, used to run his auction business. My my original auctioneer mentor, Jesse Jones, was a uh, an antique dealer, and that's the perspective he came from. But he was always collecting something, whether it was schoolhouse bells or parish prints or uh, you know flow blue or Tiffany glass, whatever it was. And he would he would gather these little bits and pieces together for a year or two years, five years, and when he had enough of whatever it was. Then he would create an event auction, and he knew that by creating an event, the value of the items was far superior to the little bits and pieces, nods and ends that he picked up along the way. So when you had an auction of Maxfield Parish prints, suddenly you drew the attention of the Maxfield print or Maxfield Parish print collecting community. I think that uh, the way we as auctioneers approach the process. Um, especially the industrial auctioneers, it's generally about a building clear-out. So you have a focal point to begin with. This plant made these foam rubber seats, or they made those General Motors cars, or they made these plastic water bottles. And so obviously all the items have a cohesiveness to begin with because they all contribute to making that product. But furthermore, you've got a geographic focus and you've got a timing focus. 
And an auctioneer works out an advertising budget that's amortized across, might be a hundred lots, it might be a thousand lots. Um, he's working on a labor budget that's focused on getting out of the building in 60 days. So that event focus makes us very different than the person who's trying to sell, um, you know, one antique teddy bear that they found at a flea market and they want to throw it up on eBay and find the other antique teddy bear buyers. Um, we, our product comes with a built-in focus and therefore it behooves us to, to go with that flow and maximize the advantages we have being so focused. Sure. Jeff, BitSpotter recently, um, relatively recently anyway, came out with uh, the remote bidder uh, platform and product. Mm -hmm. um, and you you had mentioned what BitSpotter did and what its strengths were, especially in relation to um, to asset type and market. What what then is the cause for remote bidder, and what is its target and and focus? Well, I think that everyone knows by now that in uh, the end of last year, eBay left the live auctions uh, space, mm -hmm. and uh, we had actually had a uh, a deal with eBay from 2004 to 2006, and we were, uh, you know, we decided of our own accord to pull out of that deal because we didn't see them supporting auctioneers as auctioneers in the way that auctioneers need to be supported. So with the news that eBay was leaving um, and knowing that the the primary uh, the vendors, the most successful vendors, the biggest vendors in that consumer goods, uh, fine arts, antiques kind of space were uh, by and large resellers of the eBay platform, we decided to uh, go ahead and, and put up a product to approach the consumer market but approach it uh, with the needs that the the uh, fine arts and antiques buyers in that culture wanted. Uh, what I'm finding as I uh, pursue this business uh, is that there are distinctive and unique cultures. Even though we use the word auction across all of them, the guys that are buying livestock at auction have very distinct and different needs and demands than the guys that are buying cars. They're different than the folks that are buying arts and antiques and industrial and so on and so forth. So with Remote Bidder, we partnered with Antique Week and Antique Trading Gazette to try to establish uh, as quickly as we could the broadest uh, email list basis and customer basis that we could. And then um, we're actually using technology for the live bidding platform from uh, the folks at ATG Media, which we think um, is superior at serving the consumer good uh, demands. It just, it's prettier. It provides bigger images. It provides uh, a different style of presenting the information that is the, uh, the fine arts and antiques folks are a lot more receptive to. And it's growing slowly, like any new brand, any new business. It takes a long time to get the thing off the ground, but we're very pleased with where it's at. And we're very uh, happy with our partners at Antique Week and Antique Trading Gazette, and we expect big things from it in the future. So you've kind of mentioned that, first of all, when did, when did, Remote Bidder have its first auction. When was its launch? January of this year, okay. January two thousand nine. Yeah. What are are there any any major differences outside of of demographic focus and asset type and and I guess those are some pretty substantial differences. Uh, how close is the technology uh, between between Bitspotter and Remote Bidder, and and what makes these platforms different from other competing products and platforms? Well, the technology for the uh, remote bidder platform 
has been tested with the uh, the saleroom.com in the the UK for about the last uh, 18 months to two years. So we know it's solid technology, but it is a Flash programming-based technology instead of Java, which Bitsbotter uses. Um, Flash is installed in substantially more uh, home user computers already, so it makes it more accessible to folks. Um, also, it's informed by a lot more knowledge about how people pursue personal entertainment or, or you know, the the things that, that gratify your life as opposed to the machines and tools you need for business. So it is a lot more amenable to um, enjoyable browsing and sorting out and watching just the items that interest you and that sort of thing as opposed to the machines which are by and large dictated by does it meet the specs and is it the catalog item and, and let's cut to the chase and get this done with. Something that so. is something that, that you want because it's desirable to you, not because it's a commodity that fits your specifications of what you need to buy. Exactly, exactly. What makes – what, what? oh, go ahead. I was going to say a lot of it has to do with just being able to cut through the clutter. Um, at some point, these different auction sites reach the, a saturation point where you can hardly take it all in. You know, and so it's it's helpful to have a different channel on the TV, so to speak. Sure. What makes what would you say the the, the biggest the biggest benefit is to uh, building building a bidding platform for a, for a specific market as opposed to uh, one of the larger, more generalized other competing uh, platforms? Like I said, I just think it's the ability to to tailor to a, a cultural need. Um, I cannot envision the day for me when I am just as happy having heavy equipment auctions with bulldozers and road graders on the same platform as uh, diamonds and Ming vases. Those different users all approach their computer differently. I mean, for one thing, by and large, the consumer good users are a much older demographic. They're a much uh, wealthier demographic, and they have just a different set of expectations. The guys that are high-tech and very, very dialed into their computers that just bid like madmen on the server auctions and lab equipment auctions, they have a lot less need for support and they have a lot less need for, um, you know, a, a happy, touchy-feely kind of experience than your consumer goods folks who are really buying to entertain themselves. They're buying to, to have the enjoyment of it, so the whole thing needs to be a very enjoyable experience. Um, quite frankly, a lot of our industrial users would get frustrated with the enjoyable parts of the experience. They just want to cut to the chase. They want to buy what they want to buy and move on. And that's that's the main difference. The main the, the technology underlying it, there's a lot of varieties of technology. There's a lot of ways you can approach it. And um, I just think it all needs to be driven by the nature of the event and the nature of the customer you're trying to appease. So what are some differences in the, in the product offering for auctioneers between the two services. If, I, if I'm if i an industrial auctioneer and I utilize the BidSpotter service, what kind of what kind of advantages do I see uh, either in, 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 a, in a pricing model or a feature set as opposed to if I'm an, an antiques auctioneer and I elect to utilize the remote bidder platform? I would say the primary... Uh benefit from the perspective of the auctioneer is going to be the marketing assistance. Uh, BidSpotter has an amazingly well-dialed-in database of industrial buyers as opposed to remote bidder, which is uh, accessing that great 
mailing list that Antique Trading Gazette has throughout Europe and Antique We has in the U.S. The technology is going to appeal to the different buyers, so they're going to get a smoother and, and you know, happier customer. Um, I would say on the industrial side, they're a lot more demanding, and the I guess the primary difference of the BitSpotter uh, platform is not so much the software, but the skill and the mindset of the people running the business, the folks that are taking the remote sales or the folks that are the you know the implementation specialists that go out on the ground and can actually you know wire a phone system or an internet connectivity for a couple hundred thousand square foot plant without breaking a sweat and make sure everything goes off perfectly. Whereas uh, your arts and antiques auctions are primarily from a well-known venue, an auction gallery that's a lot more controlled situation. Um, the folks with BitSpotter are the, the BitSpotter auctioneers are a lot more inclined to want to hire our staff to take care of things for them. The folks with Remote Bidder are a lot more inclined to handle it themselves, and they want an easier interface that's more readily accessible. They want the simplest way to achieve the audio instead of the way that most accommodates, uh, you know, the challenges of, of working on the road. Um, Basically, we run them as two different businesses, and those two different businesses address the needs of the clients, and the clients are radically different. The, the guys that sell you know, ancient uh, Chinese antiques have a completely different approach than the guys that sell bulldozers from a vacant lot in the middle of uh, the Midwest. Sure. It's, it, you, mentioned, you mentioned implementation specialists, and, mm -hmm. and, and with the approach that each is a separate, a separate business – what are the, the the different implementation options for each one? In other words, if I'm if I'm an auctioneer, how how technical do I have to be as far as the way that I interact with the service? Do you offer a, a turnkey solution? Do you offer a self service solution? Do you offer a, a mixture of both? What what does it take for someone to utilize either service? That's an excellent question, and and again, it all goes to what the auctioneer would like to have. We completely consider our business from the perspective of being in service to auctioneers. We can run the whole thing for you and literally be another staff member on the ground at your sales site with you. And that is generally the way that the auctioneers who are running uh, you know, multiple millions of dollars of sales with us a year like to have it be. As a matter of fact, it's very, very common for our clients to pick favorites amongst our implementation specialists and ask to make sure that James or AJ or Mario or whoever might be is in attendance at their event in particular because they work so well with them. That's going to be a case where we send someone out with a big satchel full of gear and they make it happen. Whatever needs to be done to make sure that you can hear and you can connect to the internet and the bits can get back and forth and the whole works. The other end of the spectrum, um, both platforms are completely capable of being turned over to the auctioneer uh, in-house staff and run completely self-sufficient. Um, again, I would say that the remote bidder platform is easier for uh, an operator within the auction house to run. It has less bells and whistle, therefore there's less clutter on the user dashboard and it's just a little easier to understand. Um, in the middle of that is a very economical uh, compromise that is something that uh, I originally worked out back at Amazon and has become an industry standard, which is the remote broadcast. And the remote broadcast simply is putting a, a cell phone usually uh, with a headset 
on either the auctioneer, which works far better, or as, a, as an alternative to a ringman or just a, a clerk on the ground where the headset can pick up the ambient noise from the PA system. We use that uh, feed from the auction floor to run the bidding from one of our office computers. And when a bid comes in from an, an authorized and approved bidder, we relay that bid back to the auctioneer via the cell phone, and the, uh, the bid is processed that way. The advantages are that it saves all that expensive travel, and um, you, know, you aren't trying to run the auction from a site that may or may not be able to support it technologically. The disadvantage is you've got a couple more links in the communication chain. And that's why I say it works better if the auctioneer wears the headphone themselves because there's just a couple less links in the chain because you've got this message being passed from from bidder to their computer, their computer to our computer, our computer to our person's uh, you know thoughts and brain, and then they say it over the phone, and that person they're saying the phone has relayed the auctioneer. And even if all this happens in a couple of seconds, those elements in the chain can be a frustration to getting a bid in very quickly. My recommendation for remote sales is they're best done, and this is kind of standard practice for our bigger clients. If they've got a huge auction, they tend to have someone there. If they've got a modest size auction, say it's going to be under a couple hundred lots, and it's a fairly simple situation, most auctioneers in that case will be selling a little slower, a little less stress, a little less pressure, and then uh, you know not bearing the burden of travel and so forth is a perfect situation to use remote broadcasting. All three have their place, and all three are are very good tools for an auctioneer to use depending on what their circumstance is. What kind of pricing structures are associated with with each of those three options and is there a difference in the pricing structure between BitSpotter and Remote Bidder and uh, in what kind of volume would an auctioneer need to have to justify utilizing either service? Well, you know, it's interesting because the, the volume to justify has been a question that goes back a long ways. I remember when we first started this with live bid, the event fee was $12,500 per event. I could guarantee you the Internet wouldn't keep working. Um, I could guarantee you no one would bid. But I could also guarantee you that every single live television news truck in town would be outside your auction talking about your auction that night on local news. So the value was a little a little strange then. You fast forward to um, ten years later now, and the event fee is down to three hundred fifty bucks on BidSpotter. The event fee for Remote Bidder is five hundred dollars, and that's just a consideration of the fact that we sell so many more lower price point items on Remote Bidder that in order to uh, you know stay in business ourselves, we have to charge a little bit more event fee. The um, the percentage that we expect as a buyer premium bump on both is the same, 3% to folks that win online bids. So that's pretty simple math. 350 bucks is not a big advertising hit or $500 for a remote bidder is not a big advertising hit um, for most sales. Um, it's kind of a more of a question of, of you know, where do you want to push your business? I know that we have several clients um, I would say Galavan Auctioneers is probably the best example who uh, readily acknowledge that they used us with, uh, you know, with the online broadcasting as a very integral part of building their business to make sure that they were investing in reaching further and further and expanding their geographic boundaries every time. 
And uh, as a result, they may have taken a lot of sales early on that other people might have deemed you know, not worth uh, spending the money on. So, um, so the, the value proposition isn't always about does this auction justify it, but sometimes the value proposition is can I use this as a tool to help build my business and establish myself as a very forward-thinking, ambitious, and, and technologically sophisticated auctioneer who's availing themselves of every marketing resource they can come up with? Um, you know, sometimes that's the value proposition that an auctioneer needs to consider. I would never put a, a specific dollar amount on on the deal, but I will say that it is much more common for our auctioneers doing lower gross volume sales to run the software themselves. And uh, my standard description of the person who can best run that in-house is if you have a niece or nephew who is between the ages of 17 and 25 and grew up in the auction business and they play video games all their life and they have no fear whatsoever about the computer, there's no doubt whatsoever they can run any of the online auction platforms very successfully for you. That's a, a pretty good pretty good analogy. I know that my my years playing Counter-Strike probably suited me very well <laughs> for, for being able to click the, the bid receive button. Um, Jeff, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit here. I'm looking at a uh, at a press release from uh, the published date is very early June of this year that talks about uh, Bitspotter.com announcing a dealership liquidation program. Tell me a little bit about uh, what that program is and, and, and who that targets. Well, you know, it's been uh, announced with General Motors and Chrysler in the last, uh, oh, let's say, 60 days at the most that they're going to be closing thousands and thousands of automotive dealerships across the country. We started seeing some of these dealerships, and they were generally about an eight, about a $100,000 auction. And uh, looking at different resources, I've noticed that a lot of them are going to local auctioneers who have never done anything online before because the relationship and the business isn't coming through Chrysler. It's not coming through General Motors. It's coming through the owner of the dealership who's a neighborhood businessman and knows the neighborhood auctioneer. So what we did is we put together a package that really simplifies the whole process for especially for an auctioneer who's never used us before or maybe never done an online auction before. And we took the different flavors of implementation out of it. We know from our experience that the best way to run one of these moderate-sized um, auto dealership auctions is to be on the phone and do a remote broadcast. And uh, we know, you know that... Uh, we can support this very effectively with a discount nonetheless. So it's a $350 event fee, flat rate, implementation included, for any dealership. And it doesn't even have to be an auto dealership. It could be a John Deere dealership. It could be a moped dealership. But, uh, you know, dealership auctions, they've got a special featured category on the BidSpotter homepage. And uh, that's something we think that auctioneers across America are going to be busy with for uh, – you know, the rest of the year at least, and probably uh, six months after that. So we put out a, a special offer to support our local auctioneers. I think uh, what really drove it home for me was when I saw a couple dealerships in Casper, Wyoming. And, you know, I, I just know that we don't have an industrial user base in Casper, Wyoming, uh, amongst client auctioneers. And it brought home to me that these are going to come from all different directions. And hopefully it's a chance for these auctioneers to, you know, 
have an opportunity to, to uh, try it out and see if they like it. And uh, we want to keep it simple and straightforward. That's a an exciting new program from you. What are some other features from from either platform uh, that we can look forward to to seeing released in the future? What kind of uh, a development is going on uh, on the backside? The the most exciting features we've got coming along are along the lines of client integration. I know that for a lot of years, a lot of auctioneers have had a strong debate of whether or not they're building our business or building their business and whether or not they want to drive their their clients, their bidders, to a portal website like BidSpotter. Coming in the future, um, the technology has come to support the idea that the sale can appear equally well in both locations and bidders who are loyal users of BidSpotters can find the event on BidSpotter calendar. They can log in, register, get approved, all that good stuff, and they will perceive that they found the auction through BidSpotter. But uh, we have coming out shortly opportunities for auctioneers to embed a tool or a page within their website that allows uh, branding with their logos and their colors to be able to traffic from directly within their site and maintain the uh, you know more of the feel that they're you're working right within the auctioneer's website. So really, it's going to be the best of both worlds. And those tools are in development, and we expect to roll those out in the fall. Um, in conjunction with that, we're also focusing very heavily on uh, back office systems. Um, we uh, have a channel partner out of the UK that should allow us very shortly to be able to offer a very comprehensive package of uh, enterprise management software for auctioneers to use that will uh, you know, do all your basic accounting functions and track your consigners and print your invoices and all that good stuff that you need to do live at the sales site as well as with the online purchases. Because uh, obviously when, when you uh, get into these timed auctions and so forth, you have the dilemma where 100% of the bids and the bidders are coming through the website but you still need to put them through an enterprise management software back office system that allows you to get the invoices out and check your bank deposits and make sure everything's uh, as it should be so you're running your business properly. And so let, let me jump in there. You're talking about a, a web-based clerking and cashiering system. Is that right? Yes. So so someone, and and let me let me form this question, for the, for the, the real-time live streaming auctions where uh – -huh. I have uh, a crowd in attendance, and I'm taking bids from the floor, and I'm taking bids from the Internet. Will mm -hmm. this system support then the recording of, of the, the winning bids for both Internet bidders and on-the-ground bidders and let me generate uh, invoices all from this one spot? That's exactly what we're shooting for. Nice. Let's, uh... um, on, the, on the customer side, there's also a lot of nice stuff coming along. Um, there are new cultural things, new cultural expectations uh, in the realm of the online auctions, some of which are bleeding over from eBay and some of which are, are kind of uh, driven by the fact that we're event-oriented. And people are going to want to be able to manage their, their favorites and their watched items and their items they're bidding on in a much uh, more focused way. And so we're developing a lot of tools along those lines to allow people to uh, 
dial in a little more tightly from the bidder perspective what they're interested in. And we think that will uh, lead to more loyalty and better focus and uh, more follow-through when, when it comes time to finalize the bidding. One more follow-up question to uh, what you described as essentially an, uh, a combination uh, portal slash uh, integrated solution. Um, mm -hmm. That will provide the auctioneer the ability to have the same inventory set hosted on his website as well as on BidSpotter, or is it one or the other? No, the goal is to have the the inventory data and the bidding exist in a in a space between the two, and all we're changing is the way it's viewed from one perspective or another. So yes, it it should be exactly the best of both both worlds, and whether it's a live or timed auction, uh, won't matter. The um, the bidding will be competitive amongst all the bidders. But uh, their perception of where they came from and, and where they're existing on the Internet will be colored slightly differently um, based upon where they began. One, one more question on that. Do you anticipate a, a differing pricing structure for an auctioneer utilizing that option? And, and also, is there a difference in the pricing structure between, uh, between a real-time bidding auction and a timed auction? At this time, we don't. You know, we've never done a whole lot of differentiation pricing-wise because uh, we've really just always built whatever tool next seemed to be most in demand, mm -hmm. and it's a very competitive market. And so we haven't uh, put out a lot of, uh, gee, now we're going to get you to pay more for this and pay more for that. And the a la carte thing has uh, never been anything that's been of very much interest to us. Right. So instead, we're all about trying as best we can to maintain the pricing structure we have as low as we can and uh, just keep throwing more features out there as they're either brought to our attention by auctioneers, which is where most of the good ideas come from, or whether they seem to answer a recurrent problem or a recurrent uh, bidder demand. Sure. What are some of the, the, the features that you offer that you're seeing some of your most successful auctioneers utilizing? What are some of your... Uh, some of your most successful auctioneers asking for as far as, as feature sets, and what are they doing to set their auctions apart from the rest of your client base? To be honest, I don't think that the, uh, the successful auctioneers are dependent upon a technology or something we're providing. I think that the biggest difference in the most successful auctioneers for online auctions really comes down to their mindset regarding embracing the online bidders as real people, um, actual bidders who are just as genuinely interested in uh, making good purchases and doing good business as the folks on site. It just so happens that they're at a remove, whether it's a time management situation because uh, they can't go to the auction because it's their daughter's wedding rehearsal that evening, or whether they can't go to the auction because they're you know 2,500 miles away. Um, the biggest challenge for auctioneers is always about vetting the bidders and making sure they're doing good business and we certainly appreciate that you know with with my own auctioneering background I've done enough bankruptcy court sales where the building has to be cleared in time and the bills have to be paid in time and and uh, I've even done sales in cases where um, you know I was liable for any deficit if someone didn't pay their bill on the other hand if I'm honest with myself I have to admit 
that uh, I usually have no more guarantee that someone's going to follow through with their purchase when they've registered live in person. Right. We certainly don't track whether or not people leave the sales site before they've paid. And uh, we don't do a whole lot when they register except maybe scan a driver's license. And uh, so, you know, you can draw direct analogies between doing good business in a live auction uh, on site in person and doing good business uh, with the uh, folks online. My experience has always been through the 10 years of doing this that the, uh, the percentage of people who are flakes online is just about the same as the pe percentage of people who are flakes in real life. We don't see anywhere near the, the kind of uh, fraud concerns that eBay has, and I think that is because we're event-oriented and we're focused on a whole package. And it is, you know, it, It's still a process. You have to participate in actively. You can't swoop in and, and uh, steal a bunch of laptops and swoop out like they do on, on some of the different online platforms where, where you can use fraudulent credit cards and so forth. But um, my advice to auctioneers has always been, and the, and the guys that do best are the ones that Make the effort to reach out to every registered bidder, pick up the phone, see if they answer their phone, see if they sound like a good Joe on the other end, and, and make that human connection. And the auctioneers that uh, accept the most number of registrants are doing the most business and selling the most items. The auctioneers that have the most prohibitive, restrictive uh, deposit demands and registration requirements and need a lot of documents and so forth are the ones who are uh, not seeing very many you know transactions with the online bidding that's a that's it, a that's a great point in that the 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 higher your barrier to entry the less participation you're going to have i mean it's a, it's a pretty direct relationship um, i think on that talk a little bit more in depth if you would about the various options that an auctioneer might have as far as bidder qualification and um, you know what what maybe the most per permissive uh, policy and the most um, the most the highest barrier to entry policies uh, may be? Well, it's kind of interesting because at the last uh, Industrial Auctioneers Association conference, Bruce Schneider with Schneider Industries came up to us and said, we had restored his faith in humanity <laughs> because he approves everyone and he's never had a real problem. On the other hand, the other extreme, uh, we have some of the guys who stick to the old school New England auctioneer policies where you got to put a 25% deposit down but they're, they're not considering that from the perspective of the bidder. If you're a guy in California and you see an auction for a bunch of uh, audio video movie gear and you think you want to bid on this stuff and you only know of the auction from the Internet, you go online, you register, and you see that this guy wants you to send him $10,000 cash wire transfer before he'll let you bid. Well, from the perspective of the guy in California, the bidder, that sounds like the definition of Internet fraud. Right. You don't know who that guy in New England is. I don't care if he's been in business for 200 years. His name isn't meaningful to you in the California market. You just know he's asking for ten grand up front before you can buy $50,000 of equipment or $40,000. Um, so there's the disconnect. Now, we are working very, uh, very closely to try to establish something um, in the realm of, an e of a PayPal-type payments process that is focused on the needs of auctioneers where you're moving actual money and you don't have a whole bunch of recourse to cancel the deal after you've taken the goods and so forth. Um, most auctioneers right now are working in the middle ground. They're requesting, and, and, and what we do on our platforms is we um, have all the forms to request whatever the auctioneer requires. So they're, you know, if they wish, they can request a driver's license. 
If they wish, they can request uh, banking references. If they wish, they can request credit cards for either just a deposit or for transacting the deal. Um, we do not provide payment services at this time, but it's uh, it's certainly something we've been in consideration of, and maybe in uh, in you know future years we'll be offering that service. Uh, we would certainly never require it, but as an opportunity and a feature for uh, auctioneers, that may be something they wish. But at the end of the day, um, it seems to me the guys that apply some common sense discretion to the folks registering online and um, the ones that use some of the resources that are there to, to vet some of the bidders and so forth, they do fine. Um, there's an occasional problem, but my experience is that the occasional problem since 1999 is very much the same as the occasional problem before 1999. You just get a guy who gets excited, gets over his head, or you know he doesn't understand auctions, and you got to deal with the situation occasionally. It's a rare situation, um, but nonetheless, you know when you look at that form of requesting approval to bid, if they haven't spelled their name right, or if they've got a uh, a phone number with eight digits, or what have you, well then you know you've got a problem, or you want to follow up and investigate a little further. If they're you know, a name well known to you, as most of our industrial auctioneers have well-known clients they've never met in person, uh, then you automatically approve them without hesitation. And it's it's very much like uh, the same policies you've used to to vet your auctions uh, auction bidders in the past. It's just in a new venue. How does registration work if I'm a bidder and I find an auctioneer's item or inventory set on bidspotter.com and I say to register into that event uh, I obviously have some some steps to go through that are dependent on what that auctioneer requires for that event but once I'm registered into that event can I then uh, reduce the number of steps I have to go through to bid in another auctioneer's event and and, and the follow-up question is that uh, if if there is a a a communal buyer set, uh, for lack of a better descriptor, can one auctioneer make comments about a bidder that can be seen by another auctioneer? You've hit on a couple features that are inherent in what we do. Um, I spoke earlier about the differences between BitSpot and Remote Bidder, and um, the ability to have a set of bidders who are automatically approved because they're known to you is one of those nice features that we have with Remote Bidder. Um, because, again, if you traditionally sell uh, duck decoys at all your auctions and you've got a buyer who always comes looking for duck decoys, then he's going to be there sale after sale and there's no reason for him not to and you're going to know who he is. So um, it, it can automatically approve that bidder as someone you know on your, your good list, so to speak, and that's a nice feature to have. Um, we're a little more wide-ranging, I'll say, on the bid spotter side, and it's very common for someone to come in completely unknown, buy a few machines, set up their business, and go away and not bid again for you know five years until they need some more machines. Um, on that side, we do have a system of auctioneers being able to leave comments about bidders, and uh, I would like to see auctioneers use it more frequently because it is a very good communication tool when someone does fail to pay their bill or so forth. Uh, one of the comments we've had in the past about bad bidders is, why don't you block them 
and never let them register again based on their email address? Well, the easy answer is because someone just goes out and gets another Gmail or Yahoo account address right. and they become unknown to you. I'd rather keep an eye on the guy in the way that we know him and uh, be able to communicate amongst the auctioneers. You know what? This guy hasn't paid in the past. You need to make sure you get a deposit or you know, find out what the situation was. Um, but again, those are... Those are uncommon things. Um, I'm very happy with the feature we have for Remote Bidder where you can have your, your whitelisted uh, bunch of bidders because it does save time and energy. And, uh, and again, in the consumer goods space, you have a lot more repetitive buyers. Sure. We talked a little bit about uh, some of the things that some of the successful auctioneers are doing uh, with regard to you know, even a, a, a paradigm as it relates to to internet bidding and, and customer registration. What are you seeing uh, as far as some of the the mistakes that some auctioneers are making that uh, had they done things a little bit differently, they could have uh, could have done a better job with the, the internet bidding and the relationship with those internet bidders at their events? You know, I think I think the the number one area for improvement and the and the thing that seems to separate most the successful online auctioneers and not just the folks that sell the most online but also minimizing and mitigating uh, challenges and problems after the sale are the the level of cataloging and I have cataloged hundreds if not thousands of auctions I know how much work it is I know that um, auctioneers often put out disclaimers that uh, it doesn't matter what I say or what this catalog is, um, you're buying it as is under your own inspection. Well, that kind of stands at odds a little bit with the circumstance that an online buyer finds themselves in where they're completely dependent upon the auctioneer for the description. Um, there is a trend amongst industrial auctions for folks to go down and inspect and then bid online later. And, and there, I imagine for the consumer goods, there's still a fair amount of people doing that regionally as well. But you seriously have a lot of people who need to depend upon you because they're never going to see the item until it arrives you know, in their possession after it's shipped to them. So the difference between cataloging table as the whole description and one you know, small low-resolution snapshot as opposed to getting very detailed and saying this is a you know, mahogany Ethan Allen table with four leaves and so on and so forth and putting in three or four images – um, one of the biggest uh, advantages we have in our remote bidder site is how easy it is to manage multiple images. And I believe that uh, multiple images is a level upon which all of the different live auction broadcast sites are competing because the more that that person can see for themselves, um, the better it works out in the long run for everyone. And a very good example I know came from a recent auction we did with uh, OK Automobilia. And it was kind of a fun auction because we ran it on both the BidSpotter platform where they have done auctions annually for the last seven years under the name VIX66, which they recently sold, hence the new name. And we ran it on the brand new uh, remote bidder platform. And between the two auctions – or between the two online platforms, we did about 40 or 50 percent of the auction total gross. And it was split pretty evenly between their folks that knew to come to BidSpotter and the new folks from remote bidder. But um, there was a situation that came up after the sale. A fellow had bought a sign. This was a sale of uh, Petroliana and uh, automobile signs and gas pumps and that sort of thing. Um, definitely those kind of guy toys that uh, our demographic works very well for. 
And the fellow came in, and he looked at this sign, which had been a hanging sign, and it was two-sided. And one side, which probably had been against the building for years, was gorgeous. And the other side was very rough. And uh, not to put it too lightly, the guy came in and, and basically blew a gasket. He said, you know, I, bought, I bid ex exclusively online. I couldn't come look here. I've driven hours to pick this thing up, and now I see you were hiding the backside from me. And the auctioneer very calmly said, actually, sir, um, let's go see what we had online, because he knew there were photographs there of both sides. In this case, the client hadn't availed themselves of it, but it had been offered to them had they wished to look it over and, and do a little more due diligence. And at the end of the day, the guy paid his bill and said, golly, you know what? I, To be honest, I think maybe I saw that other side. I just... I don't know what I was thinking. I got caught up in the bidding, and, and you're right. It was there, and I need to pay my bill because you know I bought it, and that's fair. So that extra effort by that auctioneer to snap one more picture um, really saved a situation where, where you know there could have been a, a dispute that was without a good resolution. And so I think that's the place where most auctioneers um, can avail themselves best. And if I had a magic wand and there was one thing I could say to the auctioneers – um, as, as my rule, I would say catalog it the way you're going to sell it and sell it the way you catalog it. Because one of the biggest uh, frustrations we get with bidders in the industrial sales is when we have a bidder who carefully pours over hundreds of lots of tooling and drill bits and so forth and picks out the 20 that he needs for his business and leaves very good absentee bids in advance of the sale. And then the auctioneer comes in and says – Put the next 20 together. Put the next 20 together. Put the next 20 together. Right. And so all of a sudden, this guy who left a $190 bid for his one lot is outbid by the guy who's spending $200 for 20 lots. And it really didn't serve anyone's best interest, but the setup guy wasn't really in tune with what the auctioneer wants and so on and so forth. Um, it's important to remember that these folks online – don't have a good way to holler out and say, hey, 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 can you sell lot 147 separate? I really just need that one piece. So that would be my magic wand wish. I think most of the opportunities for improvement and more success and less uh, challenges after the sale fall in the realm of cataloging. Is this something that you're seeing improve over time, the, uh, the diligence that auctioneers are, are using as far as cataloging their auctions? And, and, and what are some other overall trends you're seeing in Internet bidding and in the auction industry? Absolutely. Um, I had to go to the auction in 1999 of one of the most uh, preeminent industrial auctioneers in America at the time who uh, later rolled up his business with uh, DoveBid and then now has rolled it back out again. And he was of the mind that people didn't need to hear the auction, and they certainly didn't need a picture of every item because there's just no point. So I went a day early on my own nickel, and I took a picture of every lot. And that was the first auction where we did more than 25% to the online bidders. Mm -hmm. And we made a believer of him that day. Since then, I think the auctioneers understand um, that it's very important. We have a few holdouts who refuse to offer every lot. We have a few holdouts who refuse to take pictures of every lot. But by and large, everyone now is a consumer online frequently enough that we're all beginning to have a shared set of expectations. 
and we've all shopped Amazon enough, we've all shopped eBay enough, we've all done, you know, Harry and David online for Christmas shopping and all these different things. And so providing that and meeting that expectation really, really sets a level playing field amongst all the bidders. And um, you'd be surprised. Uh, what I've found over the years is that the online bidders are interested most in the 20% of your merchandise that represents 80% of the value. So you don't need a whole lot of, uh, of action online to generate a whole lot of money. I know that uh, in a recent sale two weeks ago, because of a partnership between their client and my client, we ended up going head-to-head -head with uh, one of our primary competitors broadcasting the same auction at the same time. And they sold a lot more lots, and they sold about uh, $17,000 out of this $600,000 sale, and we sold $117,000 out of a $600,000 sale. And the difference primarily was a $70,000 lot and a $30,000 lot. So being dialed into the right demographic and the right mailing list can make a really big difference. But also, on the auctioneer end, providing the tools they need to make an intelligent buying decision and feel willing to risk spending 30 grand or 70 grand. Or we've actually had a single million-dollar bid online, and it went just fine. So um, it's all about providing the, the information needed and, and setting it up so they can feel confident when they place their bid. Well, that's it for episode 19. My guest tonight was Jeff Johnstonbaugh, COO of BidSpotter.com. You can find out more about BidSpotter at www.bidspotter.com and RemoteBidder at www.remotebidder.com. Thank you very much, Jeff, for joining me this evening. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to the auction podcast from Auctioneer Tech. If you have questions, suggestions, or comments, or are interested in being a guest, please let me know by going to www.auctioneertech.com slash feedback and leaving a message. You can also post public comments about this or any other episode, as well as find show transcripts on the auction podcast page of auctioneertech.com. Thank you for listening. Now go sell something.